This is Church of the Resurrection in Whedon, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Pastor Michael Wright and is from the 17th Sunday after Pentecost. Well, God bless everyone here on today. Amen. God bless, God bless everybody here on today. Amen. Good to see everyone here on this morning. God, listen, I had the opportunity to share with the early service, and I tell you, we had a wonderful time during that first service, a wonderful time. And I think no less of the second service. Yes, you are second. You are second. But I think no less of you because you're second on today. But I truly give honor to God and Bishop Stewart in his absence. He's a wonderful, uh, wonderful man of God that allotted me the opportunity to come and to share here in this congregation this morning. And um, I also thank God for all of true freedom that's here. All of True Freedom, a portion of them had the opportunity to come. Amen. Now, I'll be honest with you, they kind of stand out a little bit in here. So, but I am going to have them just to stand. Just stand and just wave your hands. All of True Freedom, Cornerstone. Just, just stand and wave your hands today. They're with us today. Oh, y'all could welcome better than that. Come on, really. Come on, put your hands together and celebrate them. Amen. Thank God. Thank God. But I am, uh, and I'm looking around, I'm missing three people. My mother is here. Thank God for my mom. My mom is here. Amen. Amen. My, and I see my sister here. I see my sister right here. Wave your hand, Kim. But oh, okay. All right. Now, now we all right. My wife is here. She just walked in. So we okay now. We ready now. Amen. But I'm missing, I'm missing two. Where are my boys? Where, where's Donovan and Michael? Oh, they're eating. Okay. Okay. Now I know we're at home because that's what they do every time before service. Amen. Amen. Sometimes my boys, they delay. They eat their sandwich extra slow before they come into church. So, uh, but they, as long as they're in the building, we're all good. But um, listen, there's a passage that uh, was read earlier that I want to talk about and share with you on today, on this morning. Uh, it comes from Second Chronicles 7 and 14. The Bible says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. Then I'll forgive their sins and will heal their land. This is a unique passage of scripture because of the timing of the passage of the scripture in the Old Testament. Here, there are several factors that are coming together all at one time. The factors that are coming together are, well, simply that there's peace in the land. Israel was known for its struggle and fighting and wars. But during the time of Solomon's reigns, we don't really see a lot of recorded wars going on. War is something in a nation. It tears the nation to part. It tears them at the core of the heart because to see our young people go off to foreign lands and to fight 
in wars that really they don't even understand half the time why they're fighting. And to see them go off and to fight for uh, the wealthy's interests, sometimes it tears at our hearts. Uh, well, no one wants to get that phone call uh, or no one wants military officials coming and knocking on their door saying something has happened to their children. War is not something beautiful, it's not pretty, but in the nation of Israel at this time, there was peace. But also, what was happening, that was co there were a part of the coinciding factors of the uniqueness of the time, was the sense that was prosperity. The Bible says that Solomon, during his reign, uh, allowed the economy to prosper so much that silver was like stones, picking up stones on the ground. It was, everyone had money. Isn't that good? Wouldn't that just be good if everybody had money? Amen. It'd be good if I had money. <laughs> it would be good. But, but well, well, Solomon, during his reign, everyone was prospering. Smiles was on everyone's faces. Prosperity was there. It was so prosperous that Solomon had a throne. And on his throne, it was made out of pure ivory. And it was overlaid with solid gold. That's a nice seat to sit in. It was prosperous, this prosperity. But not only was there peace, and not only was there prosperity, but also there was a sense of national pride. Now, not pride like arrogance or anything like that, but a sense of morale where the people, they were excited about being the nation of Israel. They were excited about being Jewish at the time because, uh, well, they had just finished uh, of the temple. They built a national monument. It was a place that was considered one of the ancient wonders of the world. It was a beautiful thing, the temple. I mean, it was overlaid with gold and fine jewels and diamonds and rubies and emeralds and onyx stones and all types of stones were inlaid into the walls. It was a beautiful place. People came from far and wide. Tourists came from far and wide, uh, not even to look at God, but to look at the structure and to see how beautiful the structure is that was laid there by Solomon himself. It was a wonderful time. It was a, a place of national morale. Thousands of artisans had put that together. Thousands of engineers worked together. And even labor came. People were laboring. It said the number of laborers were about 180,000 people that came to put this temple together. They had to all do it together. They had to work together. They had to work hand in hand. The national pride of look at what we built. Look at what we done done. It was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. But not only was there peace, <clears throat> not only was there a sense of prosperity, but not only was there a sense of national pride, but God's presence was with them. You know, above all, you can have peace, you can have prosperity, you can have a strong militia or whatever. That's fine, that's good, that's great. But you know what? Without God's presence, it don't mean nothing. You see, when you think of God's presence, what happened in the fifth chapter of Second Chronicles, the Bible said that a cloud came and fell 
and all the priests were lined up. They had their vestments, they had their robes, they had everything. I mean, their, their, their knives were sharpened and, and they, they had over 120,000 rams and they had 20,000 oxen all come together, all there as one, there to worship, there to praise, there to give honor to God, there to go through their religious rituals. But the glory of God fell, the Bible says, the Shekinah glory fell down, a cloud filled the space, a cloud filled the area, and they could not even minister. They couldn't even go through their religious duties. They couldn't even go through their religious stuff that they were about to do. They couldn't go through the ceremony. They had to stop the ceremony to honor the presence of God because the Shekinah glory was so thick. Every now and then, we need to stop what we're doing and honor the presence of God. Every now and then we need to just slow down because so many times we get caught in our pump. We get caught in our circumstance. We get caught in religious duties. We get, we get caught on who's doing this, who's doing that. We get caught in our order of service without remembering that there's a person that we're serving. Not a human, but a person and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, there's, there's a God that's sitting on the throne that's waiting for his glory. There's a God that's sitting on the throne that's waiting for praise. But many times we get caught up with the work of the ministry instead of the person of ministry. So what happened here, they stopped. They had to stop what they were doing and honor God's presence. Can we do that just for a moment? Just lift your hands up to the Lord. <clears throat> just lift your hands up to the Lord and just honor God's presence. You talk to him how you know how. Come on, you talk to him. Share. Share with the Lord. Just tell him I love you. I know I'm supposed to be preaching right now, but you go ahead and you just talk to the Lord. It's okay. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your presence in this room. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your cloud in this room right now that will help us and guide us and honor, and honor us today. Thank you, Lord. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. Thank you, Lord, now. Oh, amen, 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 amen. <clears throat> Well, we, we see this is what was going. These were the factors that coincided all at one time. There was peace in the land. There was prosperity in the land. There was a sense of national pride in the land. All surrounded by God's presence being with the people of God right there in the land. Never in the history of Israel had all of these factors coincided all at one time. Well, this is the context by which Solomon spoke his prayer because he prayed a prayer knowing the condition of the culture but also knowing the condition of people's heart. Because I'm here to tell you, yes, we as people have a tendency of not being good to people who've been good to us. Sometimes that happens. We have that tendency of not being good to people who've been good to us. Here's when Solomon was praying the prayer, he said, Lord, I know you've been good to us. You blessed us. You brought us up out of Egypt. You, you brought us. You fed us without farms. You brought us through the, through the Red Sea experience. You fed, listen, you put shoes on our feet that didn't wear out for 40 years. You blessed us. You brought the people across the 
Jordan. You brought the people into the promised land. You fed them, Lord, with, with manna from heaven. They, God, I mean, thank you for what you've done in our lives. But God, now that we're in a sense of prosperity, and now that this temple is built, and now that prosperity is here, now that peace is here, now that the national pride is up, the morale of the people are up, and now that everything is going good, help us. Because we have a tendency of turning our backs on people who have been good to us. And we also have a tendency of turning our backs on you. Because I'm here to tell you, every person sitting in this room, black, yellow, red, white, green, purple, I don't care what you are, what you're wearing, where you're from, I'm here to tell you that God's been good to you. God's been good to you. But Solomon prayed the prayer saying thus, he said, look, God, I know things are good now, but if we mess up and you have to bring judgment, I know things are prosperous now, but if we blow it and you have to send other nations in to take over our country, I know things are going good now, but if I have to, if Lord, if we mess up and you have to send pestilence into the land, if we mess up now, Lord, if we come back to this place, once we've messed up and recognize that we've messed up, when we come back to this temple that we're dedicating now, will you forgive us? Will you still love us? Will you still hear us? Will you still? See, there are people in this room now who people have done you so wrong that if they were to call you right now, you, you, you may not even answer. But if you answered, you'd say, why in the world did you call me? In fact, no, you would say this. You would say some other stuff that I can't say across the pulpit, but you would say, delete my number from your phone. And if they tried to call back, they've done you so wrong that you changed your phone number on purpose. Well, I'm here to tell you, God don't work like that. Because if we have offended God, if we come back to God in the right way, he will receive us. In fact, when he talked to Solomon, he, when, when, when he spoke, uh, when Solomon prayed his prayer, and when he cried out to God, this prayer, you know what happened? The Bible said that fire came down from heaven and received the sacrifices that were given. They received the sacrifice with fire. And it's funny. It's funny here. And this doesn't go along with the text, but I think it goes along with what somebody in here is dealing with today. Because the first time when he prayed or when, when, the, when the activities were going on, there was a cloud there. And the cloud came down. The Shekinah glory came down. And the people couldn't even minister. The second time when God manifested his presence, there was fire that came down and received the sacrifice. Isn't that symbolic? Isn't that something? Because when the children of Israel were being chased by the Egyptian army, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, listen, they were led by a cloud by day and fire by night. 
What did that know? That let the people know that God was with him. No matter what the circumstance. It could be day. It could be night. I don't care what your life, what you're going through right now in your life. It could be day. It could be night. But God is with you. God is with you. No matter what you are experiencing in your life. There's some people in this room now. You're dealing with relationship problems. There's some people in this room now. You're dealing with suicidal thoughts. There's some people in this room right now. Your children aren't where you think they ought to be. There's some children, people in this room now who your husband or your wife, they're just not right. They're not doing something. And maybe you're considering divorce or maybe you're considering something outside of the pale of what God has best for you. But I'm here to tell you that the cloud is there in your day and the fire is there at night and God is with you all the time to help you through whatever decision you have to make. Just hold on. Back in the old sanctified church, you know what they used to say? They said, just hold on a little while longer. Just hold on. Just hold on a little bit. Just a little while longer. Because if you just hold on, God will answer your prayers. God will be right. God will hear you. But just keep on seeking the face of God and watch him answer. Now, we understand that God, he responded to the people publicly. Publicly. God responded to the people. But now, after this prayer that Solomon prayed, Solomon went back to his quarters. And then God gave him audience with himself. God gave Solomon audience with the very presence of God right there. And God spoke specifically. You see, first he did a public declaration of reception of, of, the, of the sacrifices. But now God speaks to Solomon privately and intimately, which was very important. Why? Solomon was the leader. Solomon had to have specific instructions on how to go in and how to go out with his people. Solomon had to know that this just wasn't a public display, a general public of display. No, he needed a specific word from God. You see, saints of God, I'm going to tell you right now, if you pray and if you seek God and, and if you cry out to God, because sometimes you got to cry out to God because sometimes you can't get a hold to Bishop Stewart. Sometimes you can't get a hold to Pastor Wright. Sometimes you can't get a hold to Matt Woodley. Sometimes you can't get a hold to people. Sometimes people's phone are, are off or sometimes phones disconnected or numbers change. You can't get a hold to people. You got to have a word for God for yourself. You got to, you have to have a pipeline. Listen, you got to have a direct contact with God for yourself. You got to cry out to God for yourself and have an individual word from the Lord. Well, here, here Solomon gets his individual word and the Lord speaks to him. When the Lord speaks to him, you know what he says? He answers Solomon's prayer. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven. Then I will forgive their sin. Then I will heal their land. Yes, they got a word from God. And let me tell you something, what it means, because I think we understand about God hearing from heaven. I think we understand about turning and, and God healing and forgiving the sin. But what he means by the, by the healing of the land was simple. 
when he said healing of the land, many times when nations were attacked, what would happen was the enemy would come and burn their whole crops. And when they would burn the crops, then they would take salt and throw it out into the fields so that the land could not prosper, so the land couldn't bring forth fruit. They were out there to ultimately destroy. So it took someone to come, it took God to come and heal the land. It took several months of rain to come and wash out the salt. It took several times, but that may take a while. When you're going through a harvest season and a reaping season and a planting season, they literally destroyed the field. So what they were praying, what Solomon prayed was, look, if our enemies come in and destroy our fields, if our enemy come in and we can't produce ourselves, will you heal the land or will you revive the land again? You see, that's what I believe that our nation needs. Our nation needs a revival. Our nation needs a revival. And today, as I stand here, I'm standing here telling us today that, listen, we are at a crossroad. We are either going to have judgment or revival. It's not going to be ease. We're not going to be in that bed of ease and comfort like we've been in for years. I'm telling this church today, this body of believers that are sitting in front of me today, that we are at a crossroad and it's time to wake up. It is either judgment or revival. And it's no in-between. God's going to bring judgment on this place. Do you think, do you think that just because the hurricanes happened in Puerto Rico and, 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 and all of those islands that were completely wiped out, do you think that some type of tragedy couldn't happen here? Do you think it just couldn't, oh, that couldn't happen anywhere here? Do you think that God could not allow in his divine wisdom and his divine grace and his mercy? Do you think that Wall Street can't collapse again? Do you think that your little safe 401k that you have or your IRA or your bank account, do you think that someone can't come in and steal that or someone can't come in and take that or hack that or do something to destroy the economy here? Do you think that we're exempt from terrorist attacks? Do you think that God in his divine wisdom and his mercy and his grace and his kindness could not allow something like that to happen to, to wake us up? Do you think that judgment can't come on our country? I am here today to tell you we're at that crossroad. We're at that juncture. I'm not a prophet of doom. I'm not sitting here saying that it's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not going to give you a date on, on September 23rd of 2025. There's going to be an asteroid. I'm not here to tell you that stuff. I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything about that. But what I do know is that God is not pleased at his church. Why? Because the most segregated hour of the week is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. The most segregated time of the day is 11 o'clock Sunday morning when the whites are in their church, the blacks are in their church, the Asians are in their church, the Latinos are in their church. The Bible says a house divided cannot stand. That's the word of God. 
Are you telling me that the black church, that's another house. The Latino church, oh, that, that's another house. Oh, the white church, that, that's another house. No, we the same house. And I'm going to tell you why. Because we serve the same God. Because we serve the same Jesus. Because we approach the same table. Because we know about the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we all know that we are saved by grace through faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came down and died in our place for our sins. And, and he gave his life as an exchange for ours. Let me tell you something, saints. We all serve the same God. And in John 17, the Bible says that we as a people, listen, do you remember what Jesus said in his prayer? What he said about us as a people? He prayed in that prayer, and that was the longest prayer he prayed. Before he was to go to the cross, he got on his knees and he prayed. And he said, Lord, Father, make them one, even as we are one. <coughs> he said, Lord, make them one. That was his final prayer. That was, he was praying for us. He was praying for us. Make us one. So what we can do is be the answer of Jesus' prayer. We can be the answer. We have the opportunity now to be the answer. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, if my people, which are called by my name. Oh, come on, somebody. I think you know the scripture by now. The Bible says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. Now let's deal with that, because I believe these are the keys of revival. Number one, he says, if my people. Many people in this room, you're depending on Donald Trump. Many people in this room, you're hoping that Obama come back. Many people in this, I'm serious, the people in this room just hoping, they're hoping, just, just keep Hillary in the wings so she can just come on back. You're putting your trust in the government. You're putting your trust in the White House. You're putting your trust in Congress and the Senate. You're putting your trust in what the governor's going to do. You're putting your trust in, in some kind of tax break or tax exemption, and that's going to make it all right. Let me tell you something. How foolish can we be? God said, if my people, now I don't know if those people in government are saved and they're Christians and they know the Lord. I don't know anything about, I don't know their personal walk, but I know the people in the church. And I know that if the people of God in the church would choose to serve God with wholehearted, with go, I'm talking about go after God with everything they have, I'm going to tell you something. Then God will move and make a difference. Then revival can come. But if the church sits back and just has church, if the church just sits back and just enjoys the comfort of their comfortable homes, then we've missed the purpose of the church. We've missed the of the church. We've missed the tenacity of the church. The church is powerful. We have the power of the Holy Ghost on the inside of us. We can make changes. The Bible says, if my people, in other words, the responsibility is on us, which are called by his name, shall humble themselves. And remember what humble means? 
Humble means that, look, you recognize that you didn't get to where you got by yourself. You're not sitting here because you're so good. You're not sitting here because you're so great. You're not sitting here because you're so handsome, you're so pretty, you're so fit, you're so trim, you're so ready. No, you're not sitting here because you're so smart, you're so intelligent, you're so brilliant because you have your degree. I got my bachelor's, I got my master's, I got my PhD. I got two bachelor's, I got two master's, I got two PhDs. I got this, I got a rich father, I got a rich mother, I got this, that, and the other. No, 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 no. You're not here because of all of that stuff. You're here right now by the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the glory of God. That's why we're here. That's what humility is. Humility says, I know that everything I have belongs to the Lord. And I posture myself with that understanding. But also, he doesn't just say, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. He says, he connects it with prayer. I have come to find that we pray a lot of crisis prayers. We pray a lot of prayers where we just call out to God when we're in trouble. We call out to God when things get hard. We call out to God when things get tough. We call out to God when your daughter gets pregnant. You call out to God when your son's facing jail time. You call out to God when you don't have enough money and their bills are, are piling up. You call out to God when, you know, when you're getting ready to get into an accident and you see that car coming and you say, Jesus! That's, that's when we call out to God. But God is saying, I need you to get... Now, it's no problem calling out to God during those times. Trust me, please call out to God during those times. But... Those are prayers of crisis. Those are prayers of despair. And there's no problem with that, please. There's several times in Scripture where the people of God cried out when they were in crisis and they were in despair. And God answered. But that shouldn't be the only time when we cry out to God. I mean, come on. If you were God and the only time that I cried to you was when I needed something, wouldn't you feel used? Wouldn't you feel abused? Well, let me tell you something. Even though God's merciful, And even though God's kind, he answers, he does, but still he wants to have a relationship with us through prayer. I told them at the earlier service about Smith Wigglesworth. He was a great preacher back in the day. And and Smith Wigglesworth, and he would lay hands on people and they'd be healed. And and, and people were, I mean, dead people got up. I mean, he had a test. I mean, it was a wonderful, he had a miraculous miracle ministry. and, And God really blessed him. And people came to him and said, man, you must have an awesome prayer life. You must have an awesome, powerful prayer life. And he said, he kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, eh, you know. And they said, no, come on, really, you got to have an awesome prayer life. How much do you pray? He said, oh, about 10 minutes. They said, 10 minutes, that's all you pray? 10 minutes? He said, oh, about 10 minutes. He said, come on, Smith Wigglesworth? I mean, somebody with a name like Wigglesworth, they got to pray a lot. (laughs) Wigglesworth. But, but no, he he said, no, 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 let me tell you. He said, look, 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 look. Yeah, he he goes back and said, come on, you got to pray more than 10 minutes. He says, well, yeah, I don't go 10 minutes without praying. That's what he said. He said, I don't go 10 minutes. He said, I pray about 10 minutes, but I don't go 10 minutes without praying. In other words, the point where he's saying is this. We should always pray and not faint. 
We should always cry out to God. Man should always be seeking God. Uh, uh, God, Jesus, the name of Jesus should always be on our lips. We should always be thinking about him. Our processes ought to be living through him. Everything about God. We ought to make every decision through the filter of God's word. Everything. We ought to be in so in such contact with God. We should be in so. Listen, every time I wake up in the morning, you know what I say? I say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for just waking me up this morning. Thank you, Lord, for starting me on my way. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the activity of my limbs. Thank you, Lord, for just sighting my eyes. Thank you, Lord, for just being able to move my feet and move my legs. Thank you, Lord. We ought to have a posture of thanksgiving unto the Lord. You see, that's how we get revival is by humbling selves, ourselves and praying. And then what? Seeking God's face. But what does that mean? It means literally to look at someone's face and see what makes them smile. To look at someone's face and see what makes them sad or frown. To look at someone's face to see if they approve. Because we can look at our loved one's face and kind of know if they approve or not. I could put on something and look at Tiffany's face and I know automatically, ah, uh-uh, she'll like, ah, uh, that don't match. <laughs> I don't wear that, ah, uh-uh. And she ain't got to say nothing. I just, ah. Uh. You go in the other room, you know, whatever. And, and you can kind of tell by people's face if they approve or if they don't. Well, I am saying this is how we get revival in our country is by simply looking at God's face, seeing what makes him smile, seeing what he approves of, seeing how he looks at this situation, uh, our country's situation, and then try to make some changes. Saints, seek the face of God. Seek the face of God. In fact, turn to your neighbor. Look at him. Come on, look at him in the face. Look at him. Look at him in their eyeballs. Come on, look at him in the whites of the eye. Look at him until they get nervous. Come on, look at him. Look at him and say, seek God's face. Come on, put your hands together and give God the praise. But the final one, the final one, that he says before we get revival is, 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 is essential. Because I think we understand the humbling ourselves. I think we understand the prayer, and I think we understand the seeking of God's face. But what we have to grab hold to is the idea of turning from our wicked ways. Turning from our wicked ways deals with repentance. Repentance. You see, there are four factors that I came up with. It's not in the book. It's just something I came up with. There are four factors of repentance that, that are supported by the scripture that I think that we have to understand. I think, yes, we should have sorrow. We should have a contrite heart. Yes, but, but, but repentance is not just saying I'm sorry. We should say we're sorry. That's a part of true repentance. We should have sorrow, contrition, but that's not all. Repentance is not just saying, forgive me. Even though we should address our crime or our action by asking for forgiveness from the person or the God that we've offended. Yes, we should ask for forgiveness. That's important and it's necessary. But also, repentance deals with turning from the behavior that we did in the first place. Repentance means, here's my behavior over here, and I turn from that, 
and I walk away from that. You see, we have to turn from our wicked ways. But also, there should be a sense of restitution. Also, meaning that if we can make the situation better, then we go and make the situation better. Don't just turn from your wicked ways and leave the person that's hurting back there in the dust and say, okay, I'll never do that again. And we just walk away from them. No, but there should be a sense of restitution. In fact, when you look in the Old Testament, when an ox was stolen, you had to give back five oxen. You had to give back five. You know, many times where if something was taken, you had to double the amount or triple the amount that was taken. Why? To, to, to repay for the damages that were caused in the person if you had the ability to do so. So there had to be some type of restitution if it was in the person's ability to do that. Now, this is something that is happening in our country because I see a huge sin in our nation, a huge sin in our country, a huge, huge sin. It is bigger than the sexual sins that we talk about all the time. Or I should say, it's less obvious than the sexual sins that we talk all the time. It's less obvious than the lying and the stealing. It's less obvious even than prejudice and racism. And racism is huge. There are people that don't like me just because of the color of my skin. Can you imagine that? I think I'm a pretty likable person. I think I'm a pretty likable person. But there are people who would be prejudiced against me because of this. I can't help this. Blame my mama. She's sitting right there. But the point of what I'm saying is it's even bigger than that. And you know what that sin is? It's the sin of doing nothing. It's the sin of doing nothing. If I had a two-year-old toddler standing right here and say beyond this table, say this table was a gate and there was a two-year-old toddler sitting, standing right there and I'm standing back here, the two-year-old toddler's right there and on the other side of the gate, there are rabid dogs, pit bull, angry pit bulls on the other side and they're smart pit bulls, they're not dumb, they're not even growling. They're just sitting back waiting. You ever had a dog like that? Dogs like that? They, they, when you walk by, they just wait till you get close. And then they want to spring up. They don't give you no warning at all. Well, say on the other side of this gate, they're rabid dogs. And the toddler is walking to the gate, getting ready to lift up the latch to allow the dogs to come out. Now, you know if those dogs come out, they're instantly going to devour that two-year-old toddler. Now, if you stand here and do nothing and allow the toddler to go and be devoured and you sit back and say, well, that's not my child. That child don't live in my city. That child's mother needs to do better. That child's father, where's that child's father at? You know what? Whatever, and just walk away. 
Do you think that God's not going to hold you accountable for the life of that child? Do, I mean, do you think logically, without even quoting a scripture, do you think logically that God's not going to hold you accountable for the death of that child when all you had to do is reach over there and say, come on, don't go over there, it's dangerous? Do you think logically that God's not going to hold you accountable for doing nothing? God holds us accountable for all the things we act upon and all the things we do not act upon that are within our power to act. Saints, we have to repent. Saints, we have to turn. Saints, we have to do better. There's some people in here, let me tell you something. There's some people in here, come on, all my white people say, hey, Come on, y'all can do better than that now. <laughs> Let me, all my black, all, my black people to help me. All the black people say, hey. hey! All right, now come on, white folks, y'all say it too. White folks say, hey! hey! Let me tell y'all something. Let me tell y'all something. This to the white people in the house. I love you guys. I did my DNA ancestry. I am... 1% white. So I'm with you. I'm with you. I got Irish in me. I'm Irish. I got Irish in me. So I'm with you. So I'm going to do something here. I'm not going to be politically correct. Because y'all love me, right? Y'all love me, right? All right. Y'all know I'm just messing with you. But let me tell you something. And I'm going to get on the black folks too, so just, just hold your horses. You cannot sit up in these homes in Wheaton thinking, and not just Wheaton, Glendale Heights, all of this. It's a beautiful surrounding area. You cannot sit up thinking that the bullets are being fired over there, not here. You cannot think that, well, they're dying over there. That doesn't affect me over here. You cannot think that the mother, uh, the fatherless, uh, the kids are growing up without fathers over there, not over here. You cannot think that it's happening there and, and think that God, as, as God who he is, is going to accept that from you. You have to do something. We are your brothers. We are your sisters. And we are reaching to you today to do something. Now, you may not know what to do, but... You know what? God is saying that you have to have at least a desire to do something. Because when you have a desire to do something that is within his will, the Lord will meet your desires. The Lord will send people down your path for you to be a blessing too. But you have to first have a desire to want to be a blessing. You cannot say, well, this is my home. This is my Mercedes. This is my Lincoln. This is my car. This is my Ford. This is my Chevy. This is my stuff. This is my house. These are my children. This is my, and I can't worry about something that's happening on the other side of the street because I'm going to tell you something. If you keep saying that it's just over there, over there will come to your house. Over there will come to your house. Oh yes, we will come. They will come. We going to come. We going to stop by. Them black people show up everywhere. And it will affect your culture too.
Have you ever noticed? I have never seen this. I haven't seen this. Firstly, it started with the rappers with the saggy pants. I'll just use an example. The saggy pants. And then the brothers was wearing the saggy pants. And then you go to Wheaton Warrenville and see the kids there wearing the saggy pants. <laughs> trying to be cool, you know? I'm telling you, it all comes. It all stems. It's coming. You can't stop the culture. But what you can do is say, I'm going to reach out to you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to come. I'm, listen, I'm going to fellowship with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to tear down these walls. I'm going to tear down these fences. I'm going to tear down these gates. And I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. And I'm going to reach to where you are. Even if you can't make it here, I'm going to go where you are. I'm going to fellowship with you. I'm going to shake hands with you. I'm going to break bread with you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to wrap my arms around you. I'm going to shake your hand. I'm going to invite you to my house. I'm going to come by your house. We're going to fellowship and be one together like the early church was. I'm telling you, it's time for that. And black folks, where are my black folks at? I see you, I see you. Let me tell y'all something. You cannot be afraid and you have to put down the walls of mistrust. Many people in here have been hurt. Many people in here have been the butt of racism and prejudice and segregation. Deacon Turner can tell you several stories of how he grew up. He tells you several stories of how he grew up. He's sitting right there. You want to know? Go talk to him. I can tell you several stories. How I was, I, was, I, was, I was beat up. I was stepped on. I was used as a doormat. I can tell you several stories in my life. How even teachers in schools treated me like I wasn't intelligent enough to even be in the class. And I knew I was smart. I knew I was bright. I knew I, I knew, I knew, I knew the stuff, but the teacher was making it so uncomfortable because I was black. Let me tell you something. We got to let that stuff go and not walk in bitterness. Let that stuff go and go on. Listen, these people weren't slave masters. These, I'm talking to the black folks now. Black folks, these people around you, they weren't the slave masters. You got to let that stuff go. These people, half of them weren't even born during Jim Crow. So let that stuff go. And learn how to love and reach across the aisle and learn how to receive the love that people are trying to give to you. Quit being so cynical and sarcastic and understand that these are your brothers. No matter if they're lighter skinned or darker skinned, these are your brothers. And the Bible says that Jesus said, listen, let them be one. Let them be one. A house divided cannot stand. That's what's happening to this country. This country is being torn apart because of foolishness, because of tweets, because of, of Facebook stuff, because of social media. This country is being torn apart. That's why the Bible says, if my people, the ones that are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from that foolishness, then I'll hear from heaven. Then then 
I'll forgive. Then I will heal the land. Then I will bring revival. We're in the, we're in the balance, revival or judgment. Which one do you want? Then begin to pray. Then begin to seek the face of God. Then begin to go after God with your whole heart. And begin to love your neighbor as yourself. And then we will see revival happen in this country. God bless you, saints. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.